thank the praise team for leading us so well and with such a fitting song for the text that we're about to work through in John chapter 16. I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there, if you will, John chapter 16, verse 4, reading the last part of verse 4 uh, into verse 15, we're looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you will, go ahead and stand. We stand to honor the Lord as we read his word. There's a secondary benefit. It gets all of our blood pumping a little bit as we prepare to focus and uh, seek what he has in store for us here. So read along with me as I read. Well, I'll just read all of verse 4 into verse 15. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Lord, as we read your word this morning, we hear this wonderful hope, Lord, that even as Christ has left this earth after he went to the cross, he died and he rose again. Lord, he did not leave us alone, but Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit your Holy Spirit to empower, Lord, your Holy Spirit to convict. Lord, you are still with us. Lord, you have given us this wonderful gift of your presence among us, a a gift that you promised from so long ago. God, I pray this morning that as we read this text, we would understand, Lord, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Lord, as Christ has promised, Lord, that we would understand his ministry, Lord, in our own lives individually, and Lord, how your church, even Harlan Baptist Church, will look different when the Holy Spirit is at work in us so that we might display, Lord, the righteousness of Christ. Lord, be with us this morning as we read your word. Lord, may you be glorified by it. Lord, may we be transformed by it. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So I can only imagine how difficult this conversation must have been. You know, we've been talking about this. It seems like we're in this moment for a while as we're working week by week through the Gospel of John in these last hours that Christ has with his disciples. So we've got this anticipation. anticipation. Jesus keeps saying, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. He keeps talking about how he's leaving. See, he knows that he must die. Yet, 
He's leaving the men that he's lived with, that he's served with, that he's loved. So we can only imagine this is hard for him. Because Jesus, he is truly God, but he's also truly man. He has emotions, has, has, has pain and suffering. We know from the book of Hebrews that he was made like us so that he could suffer and could relate to us so that he might intercede for us. We know that he is grieving this moment, even as he leaves the men that he's served and loved for so many years. But he knows the hope that he's going to bring about, even as he goes toward his most difficult task, which is the cross. But see, even in that, as even in this painful moment, Jesus still has to speak truth to correct the misguided thinking, the wrong thinking of his disciples, because they don't have that future view. They don't understand what he's going to do. They don't understand why he's having to leave. And he's seeking to give them comfort, to give them hope, and to expose them to the truth that they must rely on in the future. See, only Jesus could speak the truth in this time with such grace. And he does so. And as we unpack this this morning, I hope that you find encouragement. I hope that you find conviction. The very same conviction that we read the Holy Spirit talking, uh, that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will bring. You see, the disciples, they still are distraught, but they're distraught about losing Jesus, and they're distraught without the hope because they have not comprehended the salvation that he is about to bring to them. But they also don't understand the salvation that he is bringing. They don't understand how he is working with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit to accomplish this salvation. So again, this is a message that is meant to encourage the disciples, but it is through them an encouragement to us because the promises that he made to them are promises for us. And what this text shows us is that the Holy Spirit's ministry has been often misunderstood from the beginning. So, us Baptists aren't the first and only ones to get the Holy Spirit wrong. However, this also shows us that there is so much in store for those who understand the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is the promise of the new covenant, the seal and guarantee of our future salvation. And the one who empowers us to live in light of the truth. In light of this salvation that Christ is accomplishing. Jesus is encouraging the disciples here by promising the ministry of the Holy Spirit to continue and to further what he has begun in them already. So my hope this morning is that we'll gain new and fresh insight into the promised ministry of the Holy Spirit. That we would be empowered to live according to the truth. And that those who have not yet experienced the work of the Spirit in their hearts, that they would know the hope, the peace, and the power of God dwelling with them. And we're going to seek to understand this by looking at a couple questions as we look at the text. The first is, as we read verse 7 here, verses 4 through going into 7, we've got this dilemma, this almost confusing statement that Jesus makes. He says, Sorrows filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why is the Holy Spirit our advantage? Now, I think we, we often get this wrong. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've thought myself or heard it preached that 
man, I just wish I had Jesus right here and right now. Jesus says, it's a good thing that I'm going away. It's a good thing. What does he mean by this? You can only imagine how confusing, I mean, if it's confusing for you, imagine how confusing it's got to be for the disciples. It's good that I'm going away, he says. You see, what does this mean? Does it mean that the Holy Spirit is better than Christ? That's not what the text is saying here at all. You see, the Holy Spirit, He serves a different purpose in God's plan of redemption. A purpose that is subsequent and dependent on Christ's sacrificial death and glorious resurrection and His mediatorial role at the Father's right hand. Lest we forget what we've already looked at, let us look again at the summary statement about the Holy Spirit from our statement of faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. I feel like this phrase, this summary, will help us get back on track as we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We read this, The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the Scriptures. Through illumination, He enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, He baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through His church. He seals the believer unto the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. The Holy Spirit is here to empower, to continue in us the ministry that Christ began. There's so much more here that we have neglected by not seeing, look, God is at work. He's dwelling in us. Those who have trusted in Him, those who have placed their faith in Christ, we are given this wonderful gift that God now dwells in us. And see, this is the Holy Spirit. He's the seal of a better covenant. This is the promise, not from just the New Testament, but all the way back to the Old. You see, we read this, first we can see the promise in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, chapter 11 through 14. In Him, talking of Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of His glory. You see that We see that the Holy Spirit is our advantage because He's the presence of God in our lives. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. He gives us hope when we are discouraged. When we are tempted, He gives us strength. When in trial we are given comfort, we, are given the, we were given the promise of life with God in our flesh, now we have that in part, even as we look forward to when we will have it in full. So Christian, you don't have to look to heaven and say, I can't dwell with God until I go to heaven. God dwells in you if you have placed your trust in Christ. He is working in you, and we're going to be talking about this wonderful work that He does in us and why He's still here why He's left us here and He's still promising the Holy Spirit to work in us because guess what? There's others who still haven't yet believed and God desires to use us. We've got to think back through what John's been talking about in this. He keeps talking about how 
Jesus is talking about, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but you're continuing the mission that I began. You're going to do even greater things than me. How are we going to do that? It's through the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's what God has intended all along. Brothers and sisters, we've got to remember that God dwells with us. I even think, as I'm looking at this text this morning, as I've been studying this text, some of it was difficult to understand. I didn't make all those connections, but then I started to see different connections. And I know that's God working to reveal His truth as you see His truth in a lot of Scripture. Scripture interpreting Scripture. God makes Himself known. See, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a, a glimpse in part as we look forward to when we will see God clearly. Edmund Clowney sums it up this way. He said, Heaven itself offers no blessing greater than that of personal fellowship with the Lord. That is precisely the blessing now brought to the church to you by the presence of the Lord, the Spirit. In our union with Christ, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Quoting from that from Ephesians 2.22. The Old Testament tabernacle was filled with the cloud of God's glory. The New Testament tabernacle is first the physical body of Jesus Christ who was filled with the Spirit. And now it's also the body of Christ, His church, which the Spirit fills with Jesus. God's down payment is the glory of the Lord begun here below. See, the It's good, it is to our advantage that the Holy Spirit is coming, that Christ is leaving, because the Holy Spirit could not come until Christ had made us clean first. The promise of old couldn't be fulfilled until Christ had accomplished redemption. In doing so, we see the fulfillment of the promise of God and the prophet Ezekiel. I invite you to read from Ezekiel 36 on the screen. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. See, this has been promised all along. That God would dwell with His people. That He would send His Spirit and place His Spirit within us to make us new people with new hearts, with new spirits. That we would have hearts of flesh and no longer have hearts of stone. That we would glorify God through our lives. You see, this isn't possible unless Jesus leaves the disciples. It wasn't possible until Jesus went to the cross and took on our punishment. This is one of the most remarkable things about this passage. We don't understand Jesus in light of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We don't understand the Godhead and God's purposes of redemption as a whole. For us to desire Jesus only is not is to not fully understand God or to understand His purposes. Jesus tells us it is our advantage that He leaves because His leaving the disciples is His accomplishing redemption. He dies so that we would be declared righteous. We're going to look at that later, so hold on to that thought, that we would be declared righteous and that the Holy Spirit would dwell with us, making us righteous. Hold on to that one too. 
And that's the promise of the new covenant, that new heart, the new life that He's bringing about in us. You know, see, this made me kind of check myself. You know, I've often said one of my favorite times if we've got this idea of if you could go back in history at one certain time, where would it be? What would it be? I've always thought I would want to be one of the, the men on the road to Emmaus. I would want to hear Jesus expound all the Old Testament so that I could hear and understand all that. But here's what's remarkable about that. How arrogant it is. Without the Holy Spirit to convict and to make known the truth, I wouldn't believe what I heard. Look at the people in the Gospels. There's so many people. They saw Jesus. He was walking with them. They didn't believe the Gospels. They didn't believe Jesus stating the truth Himself. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us, to show us, to show us our need. And He does so by pointing us to Christ so that we might see His righteousness first. D.A. Carson brings up a good point. He said, Jesus' evaluation of what is for His disciples good, indeed for our good, ought to temper these longings of, oh, if only I could have been in Galilee when Jesus was there. Jesus insists that it's better to be alive now after the coming of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Because that's what Jesus has said. Isn't it crazy to think that Jesus says it's better for us now than it was for the disciples who walked alongside Him? It's better for us now. Do we believe that? Do we understand that? The question this may beg us to ask is this, have we experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Jesus has predicted He would come? Have you? Well, Maybe you don't know what that ministry looks like. Well, what we're going to do next is to unpack what does the ministry of the Holy Spirit look like. We see this in two parts. We see how the, what, the Holy, what will the Holy Spirit do? This is our second question. We're going to see first what the Holy Spirit does to the world, and then secondly, what the Holy Spirit does for believers. We see the, at first, we see that the Holy Spirit will convict the world. We read this in verse 8. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world. What does this look like? The Holy Spirit will bring light into our darkened minds to show us our need and to show us the solution and to warn us of the consequences of ignoring the truth. He will convict concerning righteousness, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I think we've got to break these down. In reality, we can't split them apart. They're inseparable, inseparable links of the same chain, which is the Gospel. But we can understand what the Holy Spirit, how He's working through us and now through Christ, in this text. See, the word convict here has the sense of shaming the world. Of shaming the world and convincing it of its own guilt. And when the world is convinced of its own guilt, shamed in light of the truth and the righteousness of Christ, it's called to repent. So this means that the Spirit will do so, will convict by doing exactly what Jesus has already done Himself. I want us to walk through these three things and I want you to see how Jesus has already done these things and the Spirit continues it by pointing to Christ. Concerning sin, 
Jesus has brought about guilt on sinners as He exemplifies sinlessness and perfection. He is the light that exposes the darkness. We've seen this from the beginning of the Gospel of John as this metaphor of light and darkness is constantly used. As He says in verse 9, they will be convicted of sin because they do not believe in Me. They've not believed Jesus now even as He speaks the truth. Even as he lives the truth. For what did Jesus say in John 14, chapter 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit will continue the work of convincing people of their sin by pointing to the sinlessness of Christ. As we see Christ's perfection, as we see his innocence, the world is convicted by it. We know it's convicted because it responds. It responds negatively. What did we just read in chapter, the end of chapter 15? How does the world respond to those who live like Christ? And how did they respond to Christ? They persecuted Him. They hated Him. Because He spoke the truth. So the world is reacting in conviction. They're just not reacting positively. Secondly, concerning righteousness. So how does the Spirit work to convict the world concerning righteousness? We see that Jesus has shown what true justice looks like by demonstrating righteousness that is completely unknown in the world. Again, we talked about this last week. How does Jesus demonstrate His love? How does He demonstrate His authority, His power? He does it by upending the world's notions of what power and strength and authority are. He upends the notion of what the world considers to be glory by dying a humiliating death and through death, which is the worst thing the world can, can think of, through death he accomplished life. See, Jesus has shown what true justice looks like. He shows justice to the poor, grace to the sinful. He speaks the truth in the most bold yet clear and forceful way. He demonstrates righteousness by not only his sinlessness, but by his selfless sacrifice on the cross. What we talked about last week. No greater love is this than that someone lays down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying that, but it's almost like he's saying it tongue-in-cheek because he didn't just die for his friends. He died for those who were opposed to him. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is there any greater example of righteousness than that? And this is what he means in verse 9 when he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Jesus is going to the Father because the Father is going to glorify Him for His selfless act and His accomplishment of redemption. And the world will be convicted. The Holy Spirit will use His work on the cross, what looks foolish, to convict the world concerning righteousness because the world will understand in light of Christ, it doesn't know what righteousness is. It can only see what righteousness truly is if it looks to Christ and if it turns away, every definition that the world has of what righteousness is falls apart. The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning its unrighteousness and it does so by pointing them to Christ and their guilt. If the Holy Spirit is convicting us concerning righteousness, convicting you concerning righteousness, then you will see your sin as Isaiah did. You will see your righteousness as Isaiah does. 
Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 7. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. The Holy Spirit convicts concerning righteousness, and it does so by looking to Christ who left his own disciples to accomplish redemption, proving his righteousness above anything that this world had to offer. And thirdly, we see that the Holy Spirit will convict concerning judgment. This is the final straw. The Holy Spirit will convict concerning judgment because we will all ultimately be judged for our actions. In light of the sinlessness of Christ, in light of the righteousness of Christ, our punishment is made clear. We deserve to be judged. Verse 11 we read, Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What will seem like judgment against Jesus as he goes to the cross, as he goes to multiple trials, is treated as a criminal, is called a blasphemer, as he dies a humiliating death, the death of a slave, the death of a murderer. It seems as if Satan has judged against him, the ruler of the world has won against the Creator. But what? This is Jesus say in verse 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus has made a fool of Satan. He's made a fool of Satan because he accomplished redemption through what is perceived by the world to be a failure. And in doing that, in accomplishing redemption in that way, it convicts the world because the world doesn't understand what justice is. The world doesn't understand what righteousness is. The world doesn't see what sin for what it is. Unless it sees Christ, the Holy Spirit will make Christ known. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict? Ultimately, it's the work to convict the world to see Christ for who He truly is. Now here's what's scary. The Holy Spirit will do has done, and is doing all these things. You're hearing the truth this morning about what Christ has done. You're hearing the truth this morning about the sacrifice that He made. You're hearing the truth this morning about His righteousness, about how He has accomplished redemption, and how He has judged the ruler of this world, Satan, And He has judged this world and shown it to be foolish. Worthy of condemnation. The Holy Spirit is speaking through the truth of God's Word this morning. And you can respond in repentance and faith, or you can respond in rejection to it. If you do not respond in repentance and faith. You stand judged. You stand condemned. But that's not all that the Holy Spirit does. If you respond 
in faith. If you see your need and you repent, if you see the glory of Christ and what He's accomplished, if you see God's plan unfolding as you see the Word here, there is hope for you. Even the disciples, as they're terrified and they're scared, Jesus is giving them hope. For what does He say in verse 12? Even as He speaks of the conviction that the Holy Spirit is bringing about, He says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He knows it's too much. This is what He says, the promise. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. As we look at what does the Spirit do for believers, the first is that we need to understand He will guide believers into all truth. The conviction that we saw before, it's conviction for the world, but for those who are convicted and repent, there's hope in the truth. The ministry of the Holy Spirit who has come to make the truth known to us. See, all of what was said before was pointed to the world. What's being said here is for those who believe. For them to know, look, there's so much more. I know that's hard to take and it seems distraught, but he's saying, look, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. When He comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak. You see, the Holy Spirit is God the Spirit working with God the Father and God the Son to speak the truth, the truth that we need to hear, to convict by speaking the truth, to show us what it looks like to follow Christ. And we need to ask, okay, truth, truth. John keeps talking about the word truth. What is the truth? Again, go back to John fourteen six. What did Jesus say about Himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does He say in the next chapter, in chapter 17, verse 17? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In verse 19, for their sake I consecrate myself that they, may also, they also may be sanctified in truth. What is the truth? The truth is God made known. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the Word of God made flesh. What does it look like for us to know the truth? The Holy Spirit will help us to understand God's purposes, His intentions, His desires, and He does so. His righteousness, His judgment. Remember, what does Paul say? What does the author of Hebrews say? He's the exact image of the Father, an exact representation. He makes the Father known. The Holy Spirit will make Christ known, make the truth known. He will guide believers into all truth by by showing us Christ, by showing us God's intentions, by making clear all of these things. You think about the promise and how this has been fulfilled in the New Testament writers. All of the Old Testament, yet all these things that they've written to us expounding on the Old Testament. If you go and read, as we've been reading John, you see how John, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, has understood all those promises, understood all that Jesus was teaching about. Did he understand what Jesus was talking about? at the wedding supper of the Lamb, that that was going to be the fulfillment. 
in the future of Isaiah 25, that this wonderful feast that God was going to bring and provide for his people. Did John understand it then? No. He saw Jesus made wine out of water. But the Holy Spirit has convicted him, has made the truth known to him, and through him has made the truth known to us as well. As we dig into his word, God will reveal himself to us. But here's the thing, the standard of truth is always Christ. It is always God. The Holy Spirit will not reveal anything that is contradictory to God's word. We got to understand that. That this is a promise that the Holy Spirit will empower. The promise that the Holy Spirit will guide us. But remember, what does Jesus say? He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak. Just as Jesus said about Himself, I don't speak, I don't say these things, I don't make these claims on my own authority, but I do so on the authority of the One who sent me. We see in this promise the unity of God, the unity of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to make known the truth about Himself, the truth that concerns us, the truth that will convict us concerning sin, righteousness, and the judgment that is to come. Secondly, and this is where I think it gets good, the Holy Spirit for believers will not only guide us into all truth, help us to understand the truth as God reveals Himself through His Word, the Holy Spirit will give us and show us the righteousness that Christ has accomplished, that Christ has in and of Himself. We read in verse 14, He will glorify Me, Jesus talking of the Holy Spirit, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Now I was... I was kind of wondering, what is Jesus talking about? All that is mine? What is mine? How am I understanding this? When we look at the righteousness Jesus is leaving, it would seem as if the righteousness of God, the glory of God is leaving the disciples because He says, I'm going away. But Jesus says, no, I'm going away to your advantage. What is he doing? He's going to the cross. He's going to die on the cross a bloody, terrible death. The death that we deserved. And in his blood being shed, he provides righteousness for us. The promise that he made to Abraham that when Abraham had faith and he was declared righteous back in the Old Testament was the promise that God was going to bless all nations. That God was going to provide a way. Even you think about Abraham, as you all talked about in Genesis in Sunday school, as he brought his own son to the altar. And God, Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac on that altar, and God said, no, I'm going to provide someone else. You don't have to kill him. I will provide. How is God going to provide? Through his own son, who would be taken to a cross, murdered, would suffer death in our stead. Why did he do so? So that we could be declared Righteous. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit for us? What is this hope? The Holy Spirit is going to declare us righteous as we see what Christ has done for us. When we are guided into truth, we see what God has done for us. 
we see the life that He has brought to us, and the Holy Spirit ministers to us, gives us hope, gives us encouragement by reminding us, look, you've got no righteousness. I've already convicted you of your failure, of the worthlessness of what you consider to be righteous in your own works. Look, your identity, you have been declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And what does this mean for us? It's not just a declaration, but it is a declaration of purpose for us. See, the Spirit of truth leads the disciples into all the implications of the truth, the revelation intrinsically bound up with Jesus Christ. He's leading us to be like Christ, for in this transformation, He will convict the world by Christ in us. Do you get that? This promise that the Holy Spirit was going to convict It builds. He's going to convict the world concerning Christ's righteousness. Well, look, what is He doing for believers? He's declaring Christ's righteousness on their behalf. That we are righteous in light of Christ. That we are righteous in light of His work. What are we to do then as believers? We convict the world by looking like Christ. By living according to the truth of Christ. See, God is working to redeem us and to renew us so that He will use us to point to Christ. So that the world will be reached through the conviction as they see Christ in us, the Holy Spirit working in us. It will see its need. As it's convicted, by God's grace, they'll repent. And they'll do so because they see Christ's righteousness in us. People who were convicted, people who repented, who place their trust in Him, and people who have been transformed. The Holy Spirit is renewing us through conviction so that we might grow in our faith and grow in our holiness to become more like Christ. Christ who is the perfect man. Christ who was sinless. Christ who was righteous. Are we becoming more and more like Christ. When we become more like Christ, we convict the world of its sin. And we do so not in our own righteousness, but we do so in the righteousness that is Christ. That God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, has declared to us. That's wonderful hope. That's weighty responsibility. Do you realize Christ has saved us. He's brought new life for us. He's saying, look, the Holy Spirit's coming so that you can continue the work that I've begun. You can continue and do greater things. We already talked about this a few weeks ago. What does Christ mean by you will do greater things than I? We will do greater things in that He will speak to the world through us as He has transformed our lives. But here's the question. Has your life been transformed by the gospel? Have you experienced this righteousness? If you haven't, I hope you are convicted by the truth the Holy Spirit is speaking. I hope you are convicted as you see Christ's righteousness and you see your sin, you see your rebellion against God, and you see that He is worthy, we are not. 
Have you experienced this righteousness? Have you experienced the hope, the peace, the assurance that comes when you know, look, I know I'm a sinner. I've placed my faith in Christ. He's accomplished salvation for me. And I know I no longer stand under the judgment of what I've done, but I stand under the authority, under the strength, under the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness that He demonstrated on the cross. The righteousness that He's proved. By loving and providing salvation for those who were rebelling against Him. The righteousness He's proved by being sinless. And by being true to His promises. Do you know that righteousness? If you do, are you becoming more like Christ? Because here's the promise from this text. He will guide us into all truth. He will declare what is mine is now yours. He will declare it to you. So is Christ's righteousness evident in your life? What does that look like? That means that as you are convicted of the sin of the world, you're convicted of the sin in your heart, that you see it and repent and you say, I no longer want to have anything to do with that. I want to, my life to reflect the glory, the righteousness, the sinlessness of Christ. Are you opposed or offended by Christ's righteousness or the righteousness of Christ living out, lived out among believers? What do I mean by that? Do the things of Christ just bother you that you don't want to have to do that? Are you offended or opposed when those who seek to apply and live according to the truth of God's Word, according to the truth of Christ, are you bothered by their what seems like zealousness for it? Then ask yourself, are you convicted of your own sin, of your own failure? Are you becoming more like Christ yourself? The fear here is the fear that we would hear this truth and we wouldn't respond to it. That you would hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You would see the truth that He shows as He shows Christ. Christ's sinlessness. Christ's righteousness. Christ's victory over Satan, over death. The fear that I have for you is that you would see all that and your response would be, eh, not for me. You know, that, that just seems like a lot. It's everything. We have no hope apart from what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And He hasn't left us alone just as He told the disciples, I'm leaving you. It's to your advantage. Because He's going to accomplish redemption and He's not going to leave us alone, but He's given us the Holy Spirit. But brothers and sisters, if you've trusted in Christ, He's given us the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. Why? Because He has a desire for the world and He has a desire to use us to demonstrate Christ's righteousness, Christ's love to the world so that it would be further convicted, but that it would also, through that conviction, find hope in the promise of redemption that comes through the Gospel. So, if you're not living a life that is full of righteousness, that is seeking to reflect Christ's righteousness, then you're negating what He did, what He's done to save you in the first place. He has 
brought about and accomplished salvation so that we might be changed, that we might find life, and that through us, He might speak the truth to the lost around us. So church, if we're not speaking to the truth to our neighbors in Harlan, if we're not demonstrating Christ's righteousness, His mercy, His grace, His love, if we're not doing that, then we're going against the Holy Spirit. We're working against the truth, the conviction that He is seeking to work in us. So what's the answer? It's repentance. It's confession. We have to ask ourselves, do we want to be used by God? Have I found new life in Him? Do I see the judgment that stands against me? If you know that judgment, if you feel that conviction this morning, I want to encourage you. Don't run from it. Don't push against it. Embrace that conviction. Knowing that embracing that conviction, owning your sin, coming before the Lord in humility and repentance, that is the pathway to life. See that there's so much more than this world has to offer. That through humility, repentance, it's a pathway to life. And it's a pathway to not only have life, but to be renewed in your heart. As we saw in the prophet Ezekiel, to have a new heart, a new life. A heart of flesh, no longer having a heart of stone. You will be able to, through the Holy Spirit, live as Christ has lived. To find righteousness in Him. To find life and love and mercy. The grace to love those who are unlovable. To love those who hate you. And even to suffer, as we read in chapter 15. To suffer as Christ has suffered so that the world may know what it thinks is victory by putting to death those who are righteous, by shunning the truth. They will see in our lives the same truth in Christ, that God has accomplished salvation apart from the means of this world. That through death, Christ provided life. Do you have that desire? If you do, I want to encourage you. Let's have a time here of confession, of repentance this morning. Let's confess to the Lord our failure to seek to be like Christ. Our failure to listen to the work of the Holy Spirit as He points us to the truth. Let's confess our failure to be regularly diving into God's Word that He's made known to us so that we would become more like Christ and proclaim to the world the hope that is in Christ. My friend, if you have not yet found life in Christ, I pray that you see the conviction this morning and you see the hope. Knowing that there is life for you. If you would humble yourself, confess your sins before the Lord, repent of your rebellion and say, Lord, I want to live your way, not my own. I want life in your name, not my own. I know my righteousness is as filthy rags. But Lord, through you and your promise that I'm trusting in, I know I can have the righteousness of Christ. 
my prayer for all of us this morning is that that would be our prayer. If you're not a believer, that that would be the first time that you pray that prayer. And for my fellow brothers and sisters, that that would be our prayer today and evermore, walking forward saying, look, Lord, I need your righteousness. I need your work. Because I've got nothing. Nothing without you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is one that we have so often neglected. So often neglected because I think we run from conviction. We run from the light that exposes the darkness. But what has the Holy Spirit come to do? He's come to convict us. He's come to give us truth, to lead us into the truth. And He's come to declare those who have placed their trust in Christ to be righteous with the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness that He proved that He has made available to us through His death on the cross. 